So uh, I have a picture, and I'm wondering if anybody can tell me what this picture is from. I recognize that picture. Soldiers playing soccer. Soldiers playing soccer. World War One. Yeah, this is this is actually Christmas of 1914. Uh, about six months into the war that people didn't think would last that long. And uh, there's a unique thing about this picture. The, uh, the people who are playing, um, some of them are British and some of them are German. And if you remember World War I, they were not working together. Uh, but on Christmas Day, German and British soldiers and some French soldiers went out and they played football. They played soccer. Uh, here's another picture. You can see some of the, uh, the, the officers and some of the other people mingling about out in between the trenches. The day before, they had been shooting to kill each other, and yet this broke out in a number of places uh, along the line in that first Christmas of World War I, and they gathered together, and they greeted each other. And uh, as I was reading about this, uh, one of the people who had lived through it uh, raised this question, how can you celebrate Christmas and try to kill people at the same time? Uh, a good question to ask. And, uh, and one of the statements that was made was this. Uh, this is a British soldier who said, I remember hearing a German soldier shout out, tomorrow, you know shoot, we know shoot. And so then he said, the next day, British and German soldiers met in no man's land and exchanged gifts, took photographs, and some played impromptu games of football. They also buried casualties and repaired trenches and dugouts. Uh, one of the stories that's told is uh, there was a German opera singer who was invited to the front line. And on Christmas Eve, he sang out in a loud voice Christmas carols. And the British heard this and started to wonder. And that's when these conversations started. And they came out of the trenches and they met. And apparently there were no organized games, so it wasn't the British versus the Germans and competing. <laughs> I mean, it was just kind of the casual kicking the ball around, uh, as friends would do. This happened quite a bit in 1914. Turns out it didn't happen much uh, the following years of the war. Uh, and one of the key reasons is that, as somebody said, this attitude conflicted with the patriotic aggression needed by both sides. <laughs> You're not going to win a war if you go out and meet each other in the middle and act like friends. Um, and so what they say is after 14, the high commands on both sides tried to prevent any truces on a similar scale happening again. <laughs> the commander said, don't be doing this because we've got a war to win. I was so struck by that statement. This attitude conflicted with the patriotic aggression needed by both sides. Can you spell politics? <laughs> right? We need a patriotic aggression that says the other side is really wrong and you shouldn't be friends with them. And yet, for some reason, it happened in this war in many places that people on Christmas said, our trying to kill each other doesn't fit what we celebrate, so let's not do it. And yet, it didn't last long. And the commanders made sure that it stopped. And so when I look at this, I think there's both great hope and failure in the Christmas truce. Right? The, the great hope is that for a time, shared humanity brought peace over conflict. 
for a period of time, people said, wait a minute, what are we doing? Why is it that I'm trying to kill that person over there? And there are all sorts of complex issues in this. And yet, for a time, the shared humanity said, let's stop fighting. Let's stop attacking each other. I just saw a Pew Research study that says in the last couple of years, both those who identify as Democrat and those who identify as Republican believe that the opposite party has gotten less moral, that believe the other party has stopped being rational. And this is what both sides are saying increasingly about each other, right? And, and, oh, we need a Christmas truce where people come out and say, wait a minute, those people over there are people. And maybe I'm making my conclusions for things other than the reality. And maybe it is because our side has decided we need a patriotic aggression in order to accomplish our goals. So in the Christmas truce for a time, there was great hope, but it got swallowed up by the brokenness of humanity. It lasted only for a short period. And we reflect on on this and think, you know, this is kind of the world. um, So, kind of funny story. This week I I realized when it got so cold, I wasn't sure that other people lived. I just heard about them and saw them in social media. I never saw them face to face. So my neighbor's out shoveling his snow and the wind is blowing. It's like, well, I got to talk to somebody. So I go out there and we stand and talk and, and uh, it was a good conversation. But this question, I, I said, you know, I'm thinking about this. And I think, you know, this is kind of this, the way that the world works is every now and then there's something good that happens, but it doesn't last very long. He says, boy, that's pretty depressing. <laughs> well, maybe, but maybe it's pretty realistic. Right? See, I think the best we can do is temporary gains. That, that, when we find good things that happen, whether in our health or in relationships, we'd like to think, oh, there it is. That's it. That's the last time I'm going to need to go to the doctor because that's taken care of now. Right? But the reality is it's just a period of time until I need to go again. In some sense, it's just a lull, a temporary calm in the fighting and trouble. And we'd like to think, oh, that'll be the last family conflict we have. <laughs> and No, it's not the way it works. We live in a world where there's lots of brokenness. And we keep thinking, well, this one will be the last one. And yet, it's just a temporary game. And in fact, I think, just like the the high command that said, we need this patriotic aggression, the sad reality is that a genuine change generally conflicts with things we don't want to lose. And we can't lose. We'd like to stop the conflict, but sometimes it turns out that that conflict is serving a need that we have, and we don't want to let go of it. And so when something good like this happens, instead of merely dying, sometimes we choose to kill it. Sometimes we say, we could get along better, but in politics we say, but that doesn't help our party win. So let's stop that. We desperately need something better in our world than just saying, yeah, we're we're done with the conflict now until the next time, and we might even choose to pursue it. And so I want to start from this place that I think is very real, but to say there there is a hope. There is such a great hope that we discover at Christmas. And so I want to pray and ask for God to provide to us this deep hope through whatever we face. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We are so thankful for this day we celebrate. And we know 
that the world fundamentally changed because of it. And yet, Father, we lose track of that. We ask that you do your work in our hearts today. Help us to hear your word. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts and give us the conviction of who this child is, what he has done and what he will do. Cause us to live our lives in expectation of the greatness of his government and his peace that will never end. In his name we pray. Amen. Just going to take a few minutes this morning to look at the passage that Karen read earlier from Isaiah 9. I'll have it on the screen. encourage you to have it in front of you uh, as well. Um, just seven short verses. Isaiah 9, uh, it follows after this period that, that talks about how the people have made bad choices. And their bad choices led them into gloom and darkness. And yet Isaiah then says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And just stop there for a second. Zebulun and Naphtali, these were the, the top, the northernmost tribes. And they were the tribes that got conquered first. They were the people when there are economic troubles, they suffer first. Right? When, when there's conflict, they're the ones that get in trouble first, get attacked first. They were the ones who were in trouble, conquered by the Assyrians first. They were the furthest away from support, from power. And it was a time of gloom and distress. And yet he says, that was in the past. Now, in the future, those same places are going to be the places where Jesus of Nazareth lived and did the bulk of his ministry, where he identified people to be his closest followers, came out of this area. These ones who were humbled, he says, now it's going to be different. In the future, he was going to honor them. And so then verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Great cultural images here, uh, this idea of walking in, in deep darkness. Uh, what a, a challenge of darkness representing the place of lack of hope, lack of direction. And yet, these, these images of joy, for them, these great images of joy, of people rejoicing at the harvest, of saying, we weren't sure we were going to make it this far. We weren't sure there was going to be food to eat, and the food is there and it's abundant. It's like the people among us who say, I didn't know if I would make it to the end of the month and still have heat on. I didn't know if I would make it to the end of the month and still have food. And here it is, the joy that says, wow, we can feast now. And the people said, we have a joy like at the harvest. And, and as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, and, and, and the dividing the plunder is a symbol of saying, we have really been released, fully released from the enemy, fully released from what threatened us. Isaiah expresses these words of, of the images of light and great joy, of saying, the people walking in darkness now have light, and God has increased their joy. And, and here's why he says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. The day of Midian's 
defeat. If you remember the story of Gideon and, and the power of the Midianites was such that whenever there was a harvest, they would show up and say, well, thank you for farming for us. We'll take it all ourselves, right? The oppression, the, 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 the injustice. And God delivered in a miraculous way. He said to Gideon, you've got too many people. I want to show that this is mine. I can do this, and you can't. I want to prove to you it's only my work that will bring this conqueror, this freedom. So I love the, the image. As in the day of Midian's defeat, God, you have shattered. Not just removed the yoke, but shattered the yoke. It can't be put back on again. You have shattered the bar across our shoulders that weighs us down, that demonstrates the oppression of people over us. You have shattered that. The rod that they used to threaten us, all these things, the yoke, the bar, the rod, symbols of how people had power over them and how they suffered. And he says, you've shattered those. And then these images, the warrior's boot used in battle, the garment rolled in blood, and the, the way that these things were symbols of how others had power there's no we're going to burn all those things up. Those things are just going to be gone forever. There will be deliverance from injustice and unrighteousness and from conflict. So the question is, how does this happen? Where does it come from? And so verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of the government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He says, here's where the hope is. This is what God will do. A child will be born. A son will be given. Right, the, the hope is not in the conqueror. The hope is in a child, somebody who comes humbly in weakness. And yet, this child, who is the king, will reign, and his, his reign, his authority, will be described as a wonderful counselor. And as important as therapy is, that's not the idea of this counselor. The counselor is somebody who gives wise skillful advice, saying to the king, here's what you need to do. Here's how to find the policy that is right and good. Here's how you figure out the challenges that you have. The wise counselor is the one who says, here's the path to take. And this child will be his own wise counselor. He knows the way to go. He has the perfect skill, the knowledge, the wisdom. He is the wonderful counselor. This child is the mighty God. As people in, uh, in, in the days before Jesus and for many since then, they've wrestled with, well, this, this can't be the Messiah as God. There must be another answer. This child will be somebody who's wise, who will be good, maybe a group of people. But you can't call this child mighty God unless he is mighty God, the one who has all the power, all that is needed to do what needs to be done. He is the everlasting father. And when I read this, uh, the first response is, wait a minute, he's the son, he's the son of God, how can he be the father? And yet the father is the image of the benevolent provider and protector, the one who always says, I will protect you, I will care for you. This is what a good king does. A good king always protects his people. 
never attacks, never takes advantage of them, never takes what is theirs as his own. And he's the everlasting father. Forever, this son, this child, will be the one who for his people provides, protects, always does what is good for them. This is the everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. And the idea of peace is so much richer than absence of conflict. This, this Hebrew word shalom, it is, it is a place of health and wholeness and community and connection. It is a place where there's nothing that threatens, nothing that breaks apart. And that's what his reign is known as. He is the king of shalom. The place where all that we need is provided and is good and we are loved and cared for and taken as his own. We're told the greatness of his government and his peace, expressing that this peace is what his government is. There is no end. And I love the way it's expressed in some translations of the increase of his government. There is no end. And that would be a definition of infinity, right? The increase never ends. It just keeps going and going that his government, his goodness, our experience of his goodness will never end and his peace will keep growing. He's going to reign over the throne and here's what his reign is going to be like. He will reign with justice and righteousness. I've been puzzling. What is this justice and righteousness that is characteristic of his reign? And, And one way to see it is Job uh, who who wrote before this, he expressed, here is his understanding of key expression of justice and righteousness. Job says this, I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. The justice and righteousness of this Son of God was profoundly good to those in need, providing what they needed, like the everlasting Father, who provides what is needed, being eyes to the blind, being feet to the lame. What beautiful images saying that I'm going to carry out what it is that others are not able to do. A father to the needy, and I love this, I took up the case of the stranger, the one that I didn't know, I went and said, I'm going to advocate for them. Not just for the people I know and are like me, but the stranger, I will go take up their case. This righteousness and this justice, it's right and good decisions in action. It's in relationship with God and relationship with people. And what a profound thing, even seeking out the places that they're wrong to make them right. This is the child who is born, the son who is given, is to pursue justice and righteousness. And he is a king forever. He's the everlasting father. He's the one who's the greatness of his government and peace. There's no end. And he will reign forever. So the question is, how does this happen? How does this come about? And I love this expression. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, this was not a prediction. This is not saying, oh, this is something I can see down the road. This is the passionate heart of God to say, I'm going to make it happen. 
This is God Almighty saying, in my deep desire, I will ensure that this takes place, that this son will rule and he will have such profound good work and good effect in humanity. The word for zeal is, is the same word as used for jealousy. It is this, this deep commitment to the ways of God. Isaiah tells us the hope that is ours. And this hope only comes through the birth and life of Jesus Christ. This is what Isaiah said. This child will be born as the son is given. And he will rule. He will rule as prince of peace forever by the zeal of God Almighty. He says this is it. This is the hope that we have. It only comes through the birth and life of Jesus Christ who rule as a prince of peace forever by the zeal of God Almighty. To simplify it, hope only comes through Jesus Christ. We can begin each day by saying hope only comes by Jesus Christ. It's a genuine hope, right? It's it's a, a hope that is not, oh, I sure hope that it warms up sometime, <laughs> right? And, and maybe it will, maybe it won't. I sure hope this happens because I long for it. And maybe, it'll be, maybe it will or maybe it won't. This is a hope that is true because of the zeal of the Lord Almighty. God says, I will do it. I guarantee it. I will use all the powers of heaven to accomplish this because it is his passionate desire. This is a joy-filled hope. This is a hope that can reach into the future and say, he's so good, we can rejoice today. And in some sense, we can look ahead and say, imagine the greatness of God who will have conquered what I face today. We can reach forward to that joy. That is the joy at the harvest. And this is a never-ending hope. Right? It's not a hope that, that will, will kind of get weak or, or will outlive it. This is the hope that is forever. And this comes through Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate. He was and is victorious over every attack of evil, over every human failure, over every power of decay and death. He was victorious. And how was he victorious? By self-sacrifice and humility and love and righteousness. He didn't conquer evil with a bigger stick. He didn't conquer evil with greater force. He conquered evil with greater love, with humility, with self-sacrifice. And now he reigns as Prince of Peace, of Shalom, forever. This hope only comes through Jesus Christ. I said at the beginning, I think the, the Christmas truce, we had several years of war, and in the middle we had this blip. We had this one period of time where there was some hope in the midst of it, maybe. But no, we go back to battle, go back to killing each other. And so often this is what the experience is in life, that, that we have trouble and it goes up and down, and every now and then we say, here's a moment of peace. And we all know it. Right? How many of us don't know that either in ourselves or in the people we love, trouble happens? Illness keeps coming back. Conflict keeps coming back. Injustice keeps coming back. When we see that the hope only comes through Jesus Christ, we flip that picture. See, the picture says we've got trouble, and every now and then there's some goodness. But because Jesus Christ reigns, it's the trouble that's temporary. Right? In Jesus Christ, it's glory. And then we live right now in this valley of trouble. But it will 
it will return to glory, to peace, to shalom forever. It's the trouble that's temporary in Jesus Christ. And so now we live awaiting the full expression. And we don't experience the full thing now. We, we anticipate the full expression of this shalom, of this peace. We long for this everlasting peace. And, and it's promised to us. And he says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. And so we wait in hope. We await in hope for justice and righteousness. We await in hope for the full experience of his love. And we wait with hope because the zeal of only God will accomplish it. Hope only comes through Jesus Christ. What do we do? Well, I want to suggest that you take these verses and make them yours. And this can come in a number of different ways. Meditate, memorize, draw, paraphrase, read about it, talk with people, build things, whatever it is, to say this image of our hope is so powerful and it's so contrary to the ways of the world that we have to choose to say, I want to pay attention to this. And so memorizing those words, starting at verse 6, or maybe going back to verse 2 and saying, you know what? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Say, that's me. The people living in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has dawned. And we say, wow, what is this light? And we recognize that he has shattered the bars. He shattered the rod. He has shattered the yoke that keeps putting out, being put on us. See, we have to choose to fill our hearts with this, to have our hearts shaped with this hope. Because nothing else tells us this. Nothing else tells us this. Everything else keeps telling us, well, the other people are the problem. Or sometimes it says, you know, you are the problem. You've got this trouble again because you're a mess. And what we say is, well, of course I am. But I have a Savior who conquers, who rules through love, through his self-sacrifice, through his humility, because he is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And so when we are tempted to lose hope or to hope in something else, we need to call this to mind. And maybe that need will come today. Maybe it'll come as soon as we finish up or as you interact with people today or this week and you say, oh, there's just such trouble and I think it'll just keep coming. We need to call to mind. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government's going to be on his shoulders. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And as we worship him for this, we must and cannot help striving for peace and righteousness and justice. We cannot simultaneously worship God for being the God of justice and righteousness and then say, but that's not really important. I think that's secondary. That's not central to to what the church is. And yet he says, this is what his kingdom is. His kingdom is established and upheld by righteousness and justice as an act of worship for Prince of Peace. We say, I join in his commitment to righteousness and justice. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And and we worship him because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. And he is doing that work through his people. And so we join in that work. Where is it that we live with thinking that the trouble will just keep coming? We keep putting our hope in things that we know will let us down. 
And yet there is a hope that is genuine. It is joy-filled. It is never-ending. In a minute, I'm going to just have us read through these words together, and I love that they are written for us to read. I want to just take a moment for silence in prayer and to give praise to our God for this child who was born, for the son who was given. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that this is your plan and it is your zeal to do this work. Please, hear a prayer. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts, even in this silence. We rejoice, O God, our Father, in your wonderful plan, in your goodness, in your zeal to bring salvation and peace. We long to see it fully. We long to experience it fully. We thank you for the taste that we have now. We pray that you would build in us a deep hope and confidence that our Savior, and the increase and the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and we rejoice in that. Do your work in us. Help us to be shaped by this reality, no matter what trouble we face. And help us to join in the work of his kingdom, to seek justice and righteousness and peace. Through his love, for us and by his spirit, for the world around us. In his name we rejoice and we pray. Amen.